everybody to our uh, latest edition of our uh, English language video podcast here from the U.S. Embassy in Amman, Jordan. My guest today is Karina Klein. Hi, Karina. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. It's great to see you. Uh, Karina and I are both Foreign Service officers at the U.S. Embassy in, in Amman, Jordan. Uh, and we've worked together a lot over the the last year, although I haven't seen you very much because uh, of social distancing for COVID-19. So it's nice to see you in person. That's right. And we do have the the requisite uh, two meters distance. Yes, we do. I measured. All right. So you and I have different jobs at the embassy. Uh, you're an economic officer. Could you just sort of briefly explain to our, our, our viewers what an economic officer does? That's right. I'm the trade officer at the embassy. So I work on the U.S. Jordan Free Trade Agreement, and on bilateral relations between our two countries. And, and as a part of your broader portfolio, you also work on a, on a, a specific portfolio involving uh, disability um, disabilities access to the economy, which is uh, an economic issue that, that, that you cover in, in part of your job. That's right. A great economy works when everyone has access to it, whether you're a worker, a customer, a business owner. For someone who has limited mobility like myself, that means removing barriers to ensure that I can take public transportation. Mm. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of creative thinking to enable people to participate. Let me give you an example. Computer skills are a common requirement for most jobs, right? But just because you can't use a conventional keyboard doesn't mean you can't do the job. Sometimes you just need a different keyboard. So July 26th of this year represents the 30th anniversary of the signing of an important piece of American law called the Americans with Disabilities Act, signed by George H.W. Bush uh, uh, 30 years ago in 1990. That's right. The law is important for many different reasons. First of all, it prohibits employment discrimination. Hmm. Second, it requires most businesses to offer reasonable accommodation. Third, it requires access to public transportation to communication, and other areas of public life. And finally, it prohibits retaliation against people who raise these concerns. Now, the ADA, as we call it, is only 30 years old, but it's had a dramatic impact on American life. I mean, it's hard to find a modern American building that is not designed since uh, in the last 30 years with disabilities access in mind. Um, Public television channels, you, you can't turn on a TV and not have the ability to turn on closed captioning. Um, in fact, right, this video podcast itself, uh, we're required by law to make sure that we have subtitles both in English and in Arabic. That's right. Um, in public buildings, uh, you're going to see Braille signs for, for folks that have vision disabilities. And, and service animals are also now a pretty common part of American life. That's right. And if you go to any American city, you'll see what we call kneeling buses. And they help uh, people with limited mobility or people with mobility disabilities to access public transportation, and that's really important. Uh, in, in fact, here at the U.S. Embassy in Amman, and, and we're not uh, unusual in any way, shape, or form, like every U.S. government building, we follow ADA design standards as well. And I don't know, uh, you know how you feel about that. Correct. If you visit a U.S. Embassy, whether it's this U.S. Embassy here in Jordan or any U.S. Embassy, you'll, you'll see the ADA in action. It makes it possible for people with disabilities like myself and my American and Jordanian colleagues who also have disabilities makes it possible for us to work here. And that's something I'm really proud of. But there have been some maybe less obvious changes that have been equally important and equally profound. There are a lot more people with disabilities in the workforce. 
you might not always be able to tell that they are dis- that these people are disabled because some disabilities are what we call invisible disabilities. The ADA law has helped employers focus on hiring people who can get the job done. The law encourages employers to focus on what a person can do rather than what he can't do. And that's good for the whole organization. I can say from the perspective of a, of an organization, once you cross that uh, idea that somebody has to look like they can do a job, um, if they, it, it makes you take stereotypes and put them aside and you focus in on what is it that person going to need to get that job done? It, it benefits uh, people with disabilities and, you know, whether they're obvious and, and some also people who have maybe invisible disabilities as well uh, in, in terms of treating people fairly and equally based on what they can do and not what you think they can do. There has been a lot of change in public life. Um, you see more and more people in public office who are disabled. Um, but, of course, it's true that there's still there's still not that many disabled people in the workforce. And so most people haven't had the experience of working with a disabled person uh, side by side with a disabled person in the office. Uh, I have to from my own experience, you know, that in this job, every two or three years, we end up going to a new place. So every two or three years, I end up starting in a new office with a new group of people. And every single time, there's always one or two people who after a couple of months come to me and say, you know, you're the first disabled person that I've ever actually gotten to know, or you're the very first disabled person that I've actually worked with. And in the beginning, I didn't know what it was going to be like, and I felt a little bit awkward. And I didn't know if I should ask you if you needed help, and I didn't know. Some people say, I didn't know if you could do the job. But then they say, you know, now, now that we've been working together for a while, I can tell that you can do the job, and you've been a really great asset to the team. So that means a lot to me. I'm not an activist by any stretch of the word. Some people are, are activists, and I'm, I'm grateful to those people who, who, who have been activists and who have paved the way for, for me and others like me. I'm not that way, but I'm very conscious of being a role model, role model not only for other disabled people, who might look at me and say, if she can do that job, maybe I can do it too. But a role model for other people, other other non-disabled people who maybe have not had any exposure to to a disabled person in their life. And, and um, so I think that my being here means something. It, it does mean something. And personally, I'm glad that we have had the chance to work together over the last year. I think that people really need role models. I think that's very important. People need to be able to see somebody and say, you know, if she can do that. Maybe I can do that, too. Now, one, one other thing that I, I think a lot about is, uh, you know, somebody growing up um, in the state of Alabama and in, in the United States. One of our, our state heroes is, uh, is a woman named Helen Keller, who, uh, you know, over 100 years ago gained international fame because uh, she had uh, disabilities both in vision and both in hearing and nevertheless became a, a figure of important stature across the world giving lectures and speeches, learning uh, how to read and write in multiple languages, and uh, a best-selling author. Um, but there's a problem with that trap of looking to uh, uh, to people that uh, have overcome disabilities and treating them as sort of you know, gods on a pedestal. That's right. I mean, we can't all be Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder. I certainly can't sing. <laughs> but 
to your point, it's easy to celebrate people who are have these amazing, extraordinary talents. It's sometimes more challenging to accept that most people with disabilities are really not that extraordinary. We're just normal people. And so part of the goal is to remove the obstacles to allow normal people to be able to do normal things. I, sort of the irony of all this is that disabilities are something that are becoming increasingly prominent uh, and and um, present in our, our life because, you know, in general, the American population is getting older. And I think the statistics are something like we already have one in five Americans has some disability and Americans who are 65 years uh, or older, about 40 percent of them say they, they have at least one uh, or more disability themselves. So as the American population and the American workforce gets older, uh, people begin to develop and, and appreciate that these disabilities are, are a lot more commonplace than people might recognize. That's right. And I want to go back to your point when you said that these accommodations are expensive and people ask if they're worth it. Um, obviously, the it's an interesting mindset. But if you think about it, um, as you say, more and more people, if you think about it, the accommodations that are made for disabled people can be used by other people as well. So whether it's the FedEx delivery man delivering a package or a woman pushing a baby carriage or someone with a, or an older person with a cane, all of those people can take advantage of these accommodations. So if you think about it in that sense, it's a really good investment. You know, a lot of people say that it's just too expensive to make these accommodations. And a lot of countries that I've traveled in, a lot of people say, you know, of course, America can can do that because they're America and they're rich and they have money. We are a poor country and we don't have the the resources to make our country accessible. But many of the accommodations that people meet, need are really very simple and very inexpensive. And in addition, we have this concept in the United States of Universal design and what universal design is in very simple terms, it's, it's the idea that you build an, a building from the outset and make sure that it's accessible and that it can meet the needs of people throughout the stages of their life. And if you build the building properly from the beginning, then you don't need to make a lot of costly alterations later on. So it's easier to be open from the very beginning and and, and, uh, and then make adjustments as you need to do going along. It's much more practical and it's much mm-hmm. more cost effective. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I would think I, I learned this from you the other day that uh, that texting the stuff, you know, when we're passing notes and direct messages to each other on our phone that initially came out of technology developed for for folks uh, that had hearing disabilities. That's uh, right. It was a way for. Uh, folks with hearing disabilities to communicate with each other and with other people. Uh, and now texting is such a common thing. Uh, everybody's using it. I think every teenager in the world at this point has has a, a debt of gratitude to, the, to the, the folks that disable that technology. That's right. And to think that we all owe, we owe all of that to the ADA. When I look back at uh, what the world was like before the ADA, Certainly, there's it's there's been a big change. 
In fact, the ADA has been a model for countries around the world. It's considered the gold standard for disability rights legislation um, and ensuring the rights of people with disabilities. But the ADA isn't perfect. Mm. After it was passed, people realized there were gaps in the legislation, so other laws were passed to fill those gaps. Still, there's lots that's missing, a lot of issues that remain to be addressed in areas like employment and housing and health care, and some of the other areas that weren't addressed at all in 1990, like access to the Internet or social media. Why? Because those technologies didn't yet exist or they weren't widely used. So the legislation has had to keep evolving with the times. Well, and that sometimes is the mark of a, of a good law. It's a, it, just as a society evolves, the law also evolves with it. And if it's written initially in the way um, that it can embrace change, in, in many respects, it's like a, a well-designed building. Um, whatever, whatever the future is going to throw at that law, it can adjust and, and deal with it. Uh, it's in, some, in some respects, the metaphor of the ADA is appropriate not only for the buildings that we, we, we live and work in, but also the laws that help keep our at least our American uh, culture and, and society uh, moving forward. Uh, what is the relationship between uh, accessibility and education to the broader question of uh, disability rights in America? Well, as I said before, one of the areas in which uh, the ADA still needs work is in the area of employment. And although exact statistics are hard to come by because definitions keep changing, we know that the real barrier to employment for people with disabilities isn't usually the disability itself, but their level of education. When people with disabilities are able to go to school and develop skills that employers need, they have a much better chance of getting a job. So it's vital that kids have an opportunity to get a solid education from a young age. And it's also great when disabled children can be in the same classroom with non-disabled children because it makes the non-disabled kids more accepting. And then when those kids grow up and become adults and they have uh, perhaps a disabled colleague in the same office, they think it's normal because they've already had that experience. Um, as important as the ADA has been as a piece of legislation, you had mentioned to me earlier that where the U.S. Uh, really stands out across the board in disability rights is in the area of implementing uh, the ADA. That's right. There, you know, there are many countries around the world that have disability rights legislation. And there's even many countries in the world that have disability rights mentioned right in their constitution. In fact, Jordan is one of those countries. But what makes the United States approach different or what makes the ADA so important is the emphasis on implementation. But while legislation is important and implementation is super important, those two things can't fix everything. You can't legislate attitudes. That's why role models are so important. If disabled people see other disabled people in the workforce, they look at those people and they say, if she can do that, I can do that too. And that's really important. When you mention role models, I'm thinking about um, just a few months ago, um, an important figure in our own uh, history of the U.S. State Department uh, just passed away. Uh, this is Rami Rabi, and um, he uh, was, uh, you know, we, we've had diplomats um, who served with disabilities, particularly those who have developed disabilities over the course of their career. 
But Rami was the first uh, diplomat to be hired into the Foreign Service with an existing disability, um, and, and uh, he, he had limited vision. Um, and he had tried for years. He passed all the tests that you and I pass. Uh, and he, his biggest obstacle was the sense that he just couldn't do the job because he couldn't see things the, the way that other diplomats could. Um, and he eventually convinced uh, in 1990 uh, that uh, the State Department leadership that he could do the job, and he went on to have a, a, a really successful and impressive career with a series of important assignments uh, and proved that he could do the job as well as, if not better, uh, than any other diplomat. You know, I was... I grew up before the ADA. I think I just aged myself. It's okay. Um, so, but I have to say that's one area in which the ADA has really been an important influence on my life or had a, an important effect on my life. Um, because before 1990, before the ADA, the State Department had a policy of not hiring disabled people as foreign service officers. So actually, I took the test three times, and um, I failed three times. This was back in the mid-'80s. And it never occurred to me that that the reason that I wasn't being accepted was because the State Department uh, wasn't accepting people with disabilities for that job. And then I tried again in the early 2000s because I really wanted to be a diplomat. And I said, I want to give this one more shot. And I made it that time. Um, it's thanks to Rami and his perseverance that I'm sitting here today. Um, it actually took him 10 years to, to convince the State Department to hire him. Um, and it's thanks to, to Rami and his perseverance that I'm sitting here today. Well, and, uh, and that's a gift not only for your own career, but also for, for mine and all of your colleagues that have benefited from your Incredibly professional work. One thing that makes the U.S. Foreign Service or the U.S. Diplomatic Corps so unique is that is the emphasis on or the focus on creating a diplomatic corps that really reflects the people of the United States. And that includes people with disabilities. That includes people like me. Well, Karina, thank you for stopping by and talking with us about the history of the Americans with Disabilities Act and the important role that uh, people with disabilities have played in, in helping the American society uh, make progress over the last 30 years and, and well before that. Thanks for having me.